This is Blood Bank, a podcast where hospital workers share a story from an experience in medicine that has stayed with them, and then they tell us why. I'm Amanda Rubano, and I'm a medical student at the University of Rochester. Today, we'll hear two stories from Dr. Victor Polshuk about disagreeing with a patient's value system and knowing where to draw the line. Dr. Polshuk is a retired obstetrician and gynecologist who is in private practice and had a clinical faculty appointment. I went to medical school in Los Angeles in the 60s, at which time abortion was not legal. And when I was on the GYN rotation in my third year, after each weekend, we would admit two, three, four, sometimes more women who had been across the border to Mexico over the weekend to have an abortion in Mexico. They would come back, they would get infected, we would admit them. And I saw horrible things up to and including hysterectomies in very young women because of intractable infection that we couldn't cure that had a lasting impact on me. Later on, abortion became legal and I became a gynecologist. I believe being pro-choice, that entails a therefore. If I'm pro-choice and I'm a gynecologist, therefore, I provide abortion services for my patients. So I did. I was in private practice with a number of other physicians. Three of us in the practice performed abortions for only the patients in our practice. So I would perform one or two early abortions a week for my patients and patients of the physicians in my practice who did not perform abortions. So that's the background of the story I'm going to tell. Prior to performing an abortion for a woman, I would sit with her and commiserate with her that she had an unwanted pregnancy as part of the process of getting informed consent, explaining the risks of the procedure. And one day, I was with a woman that started my talk saying how I'm sorry that she found herself with an unwanted pregnancy. And she interrupted me and she said, oh, this wasn't an unwanted pregnancy. This was a planned pregnancy. But my sister has just announced that she's to be married in about six months and I'm to be the matron of honor. And I don't want to be the matron of honor in a maternity dress. So I'm going to abort this pregnancy and get pregnant again in four, five, six months. And I was taken aback because every abortion I had done up to that point had been for an unwanted pregnancy. And I didn't know how to respond because this, to me, felt like an extraordinarily trivial reason for an abortion for taking the risks, although they're very, very small, there are risks. It felt frivolous to me. And I really reacted strongly. I didn't know what to say or do. But I, in the moment, thought, I cannot judge this woman. It's not my place. And so we went ahead, and I did perform her abortion. And indeed, she did come back pregnant in a few months. But it led to considerable thinking on my part as to whether or not I had the right to think through with the patient whether her reasons for having an abortion were sufficient. In the long run, I figured that I don't have that right it's, it's not my place to decide whether somebody's reason is sufficient or not, because if this extreme example, at least in my opinion, an extreme example, if I were to say no to her, it starts me down a slope of decision-making that I really don't want to be on. It changed my practice. It changed how I approached patients who presented for pregnancy termination. 
up front, the very first thing I would say to them after this was not, I'm sorry that you find yourself with an unwanted pregnancy. I would say, I don't want to know what your reason for terminating this pregnancy is. I just want to make sure that you've thought it through, that you're comfortable with the decision, that you don't need counseling because I'd be happy to refer you for counseling if you do, and so on and so forth. But I would make it very clear up front before going into anything else with the patient that I did not want to know her reason. So it changed how I practice. What do you think would have happened if you hadn't supplied her with the abortion? Well, she would have been able to get the abortion. She would have found another provider, and she would have concocted another story if she was asked why she was having an abortion. But what would have happened to me would have been the assumption of the ability to decide for other people what's right for them. And I don't think I have the right to do that. Do you think that's within the scope of a doctor's practice? No. I think what's within the scope of a doctor's practice is to find out what values your patient has, and assuming they're compatible with yours, to help them fulfill their needs and desires, not yours. What happens if our values are in direct contention with our patients? Well, there are some values that we hold with terrible strength, and there are other values which are more malleable. And we could be convinced, perhaps, that some values that we hold aren't uh, worth defending. But I wonder whether this story actually is a smaller piece of an even bigger story that doesn't have anything to do with abortion, that has to do with the choices that people make and whether or not the physician agrees with the choice that the patient is making. We've all taken care of patients who, despite sufficient counseling, continue to make choices that are unhealthy for them. Do we impose our judgment on them? Do we refuse to take care of them if they don't take our advice and do what we think they should do? I had a colleague who, when he took care of women who smoked in pregnancy, told them that at five months of pregnancy, if they were still smoking, he was going to dismiss them from his practice. He used that as a coercion to get them to quit smoking, but he followed through on it. Is that the appropriate thing? I mean, what we're talking about here is a bigger issue than abortion. It is working with patients who have values that are in conflict with your own. You have to decide where to draw the line. It seems like your line is respecting patient autonomy and not allowing for your values to supersede those of your patient. I'm wondering if you ever crossed that line, or if the story you told was really the closest you ever got to crossing it. No, there's another one. When I was young in practice, I had a patient who came to me not by choice. We all had to take turns being the OBGYN on call at the hospital one day a month or so because there were about 30 of us. It was my time, my day, and a woman rolled into the emergency department almost in shock. Long story short, she had a ruptured ectopic pregnancy. She was clearly with it enough in the admissions process to announce that she was a Jehovah's Witness and would take no blood products. She signed the papers, the appropriate papers that she would take no blood products. She 
reminded both me and the anesthesiologist as she was going to sleep for her surgery that she would take no blood products. At surgery, she had a massive intraperitoneal hemorrhage. The anesthesiologist was pumping fluids into her, colloid, but no blood, no blood products, and we were losing her. The surgery went well. We took care of what we had to do, get her to the intensive care unit, and she's literally dying. She didn't wake up after anesthesia. She's literally dying for lack of blood, but she's pumping saline, and she didn't gain consciousness, and she was dying. Her husband was there, supported her decision. Her parents were there. They were not Jehovah's Witness. And they begged us to transfuse her. So talk about a values clash. Now, some more background. If this woman had presented to me in my office to establish care as a Jehovah's Witness, I would not have accepted her as a patient. I would have asked her to seek care elsewhere. I would not take her on electively as a patient with my hands bound in terms of the way I would practice. So what do I do? I'm the attending physician. My patient is dying for lack of blood. And I transfused her. And she lived. I don't remember who told me. Somebody told me that I was going to hell. It may have been her. It may have been her husband. But I'll take that. What was your role here as a physician? You have a conflicting role here. So what your role is to save lives, to do your best for the patient that you can do. But also part of that is to respect somebody's autonomy. Her autonomy, and she made it very clear both in writing and orally, was that she would not accept blood products, and she knew the risks. So talk about a values clash. I violated her autonomy. Now, in ethics, we talk about paternalism in general terms as a negative thing. It's not always negative. Paternalism, for example, when you're faced with a suicidal patient, requires that you violate their autonomy for their benefit. If they want to walk out the door and jump off a bridge, their autonomy is not to be respected. And in a paternalistic way, you are to stop them from doing so. You are to violate their autonomy. Your beneficence-based obligations to that person require that you violate their autonomy, and that's what paternalism is in its best sense. And so this was paternalism. I would frame it as the same. I would frame it as, in the best sense, this is paternalism. Do you feel like paternalism did not apply for the patient with the abortion? What I felt was that in that setting, I could not impose my values on hers. And in this setting, I could. And remember earlier I said something about drawing lines. You have to decide where you're going to draw the lines. I'm sympathetic to the pro-life people who sincerely and honestly and truly believe that humanity, that what it means to be human, begins with conception. And if you believe that, if you truly and deeply and profoundly believe that, then you do everything you can legally to prevent abortion. So I can be sympathetic to that while still not believing it. I do not believe that humanity begins at conception. I'm not sure I can define a place where it does begin, but it's certainly not a fertilized egg. And because I don't believe that that represents the humanity of an individual, I can comfortably provide abortions for patients. My understanding is that you practice medicine in a way where you prioritize patient values over your own up to a certain point. There's a place where your tolerance reaches a limit. um, And that place is where a person 
jeopardizes their own life without exercising measures to save it. You're able to provide abortions and respect a woman's wishes by knowing that you don't believe that life starts at conception. And so the woman's choice will be respected. But should she want to die, not in a palliative care sense or a futile terminal illness sense where there's no hope, but in a way that is entirely preventable, you'll step in under the guise of paternalism. I think the summary of this story is that imposing your values on someone else has enormous risk. And in 99% of the time is not the right thing to do. It's clear to me that you've had a long time to sit with these ideas and find a position in which you're able to operate effectively. I'm grateful for the opportunity to know that as physicians, we're likely going to be faced with a time when we are confronted with upholding the values of our patients or upholding our own. And it's good to know what hill is worth dying on. So perhaps we're prepared when we get to that battleground. I thank you tremendously for the conversation and for your insight. Uh, It's been such a pleasure to hear you speak. That was Dr. Victor Polshuk sharing with us some stories from his past. I'm Amanda Rubano, and you're listening to Blood Bank.